Welcome to the New Hope Leeward podcast. Well, good morning, New Hope Leeward Ohana here at the Kapolei campus and our family online. As you heard, we are starting a brand new series this weekend, Pastor Josie Skinny Jeans. We gave him, a, we gave him the weekend off, and so uh, he can go and shopping maybe. But uh, we want to thank you so much for joining us one week, exactly one week after our 20-year birthday. Praise God. Happy birthday to us. Amen. 20 years, it might seem, that, might seem like a pretty big number to some of you, but I, I got to tell you, folks, uh, if I, my two grandsons are t- ages 26 and 24. <laughs> 20 to me is still, like, still what I call puppy stage. You know what I'm talking about? Even as a church, we're still drinking milk, gang. So uh, yeah, happy birthday to us. We, last weekend, we cel- celebrated our, our 20th birthday. This weekend, we're, again, with this new series, we're going to meet... Uh, meet for the next several weeks, and we're going to explore, as you've heard, the Old Testament of our Bibles and how it's going to show us the revelation of Jesus who would arrive in the day and age that you and I call the New Testament. Matter of fact, Jesus, in Luke 24, he's his departing chapter in that gospel, one of the last things he says to his followers, he has a crowd, but he's about to ascend, he's just about ready for liftoff, I mean, he is... He's got one foot out the door already. And he, what he says to his followers and the group that's there with him, it, it basically is our thesis. It confirms our thesis for this series. Speaking to his followers, again, he, he's already been uh, crucified. He's already been raised from the dead. He's already been seen. And so he, before he leaves, he speaks about the entire reason he left heaven and, and came to Tabernacle with us here on earth for 30 plus years. In your notes there, verse 44 in Luke 24 says this. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. This is what the series before Bethlehem is all about. See, despite what Jesus says here in Luke 24, and I, I know, and you probably know, there are many in the church in 2023 that many in the body of Christ, many, many new converts don't very, very, feel very strongly inclined to spend time or invest time or study or no real effort in the Old Testament. The primary reason why is they've heard from so many that we're not an Old Testament church. The, the church today is a New Testament church. We have no real need for the Old Testament. The church today is a church under grace. We are no longer under the Old Testament Levitical laws and ordinances. Therefore, we need not concern ourselves with the letter of the law. And while there is some truth to that line of thinking, I would testify in proof of that, that 35 years ago, in 1988, when I gave my life to Jesus, I did come to him, folks, for one reason and one reason only. I came to the realization that I was a filthy sinner. I was eternally separated from God. And because of his amazing grace and forgiveness and love, I received God's perfect sacrifice in Jesus. That saved my soul. At that moment, folks, 35 years ago, I did I did not need, nor did I really concern myself. I wasn't interested in knowing about 
sacrificing sheep and goats and bulls and pigeons. I, it didn't really, I didn't really care about it. I didn't give a rip about Jewish festivals and holidays and celebrations. I didn't want to read uh, in, in the book that my love for Kalua pig, bacon. Who doesn't love bacon? Right? My pork lao lao. I don't want to hear that, uh, that that could render me unclean. You know, I didn't want to read about that. See, in the beginning of my walk decades ago, the Old Testament didn't carry as much significance to my walk as the New Testament did. But what happened, what happened was through the course of time, the Old Testament slowly began to take on this significant role in my faith walk. And folks, I'll tell you something right now. This many years later, I absolutely need the Old Testament in my life. I need it. Why? Why, Art? Because, folks, as I began to follow God, as I began to get involved in church and ministry and even leadership, I hit seasons, maybe some of you know on top, where my faith waned, struggled, right? I, I, my prayer requests seemed to go at times unanswered. I started to feel more like they were being ignored. I struggled to live in victory. The things that I had victory over, I found myself stumbling over them, right? Only finding myself over and again trying and falling flat on my face in defeat. I was seeking God for apples, and all I was getting was lemons. I wonder if anybody knows what I'm talking about out there. Here now. Yeah, you know, I'm... I'm Pursuing God and everything I'm asking for isn't happening. As a young believer, I began to start doubting God, right? I doubt, doubt, doubted that he cared, doubted, doubted that he was even listening to me at times. I started doubting that he was even strong enough to answer the prayer, the pleads that I was bringing to him, right? I started, doubt, I started doubting that he, was, he, he couldn't help me. He wasn't able to accomplish what I wanted him to accomplish. And then that, that, that doubt cast the ultimate doubt at times. Did God even exist? Right? Is he even real? Right? Am I, the heavens seem like brass. Was, was, there, was the story about some carpenter from Nazareth simply a story about a carpenter from Nazareth and nothing else? And right about that time, folks, is when I began to realize how valuable and precious the Old Testament really was. What happened? See, in those seasons of faithlessness and those seasons of doubt, it was the Old Testament and a fresh understanding that at a minimum, the scriptures in the Old Testament that wrote about this carpenter, right? But way before Bethlehem, these scriptures that wrote about this carpenter, wrote about Jesus, they, they were penned out they spoke about Jesus at least at a very minimum four centuries before he arrived. Think about that now. 400 years. We know that site. Four centuries before, at, at, the, at the minimum, they were writing about this guy before he even showed up on the scene, right? How could my doubt, how could my faithlessness thrive with Jesus when he was talked about, when he was written about, when he was predicted about nearly two millennia, if you, if you look at the writings of Moses in the Pentateuch, it's, it's estimated between the 17 to, to 1500 B.C. That's 17 to 15 centuries 
before Jesus ever came on the scene, they were writing about him already. As a matter of fact, we're going to, today as we open up this series, I'm gonna, we're going to go right to the writings of Moses. We're going to be in Genesis 3 today. We're going to see, and not only did they write about him way back then, it was with perfect accuracy. Nobody contradicted each other. What, what, maybe, you're, maybe you're here today, and for whatever you're going through, you're listening today, and you're, you're having maybe, whether you be here or online family, you might be having your own little crisis of faith, trusting God, right? Maybe you're in a season, season where you feel like the heavens are brass. Like you're just talking and everything is falling right back down on your head. Or maybe you're in that crisis of faith where you think God's not listening or you haven't earned his ear. Maybe you're even in a place, even though everybody around you is saying amen and thank you, Jesus, you wonder if he really does exist. I don't know. You and God know. Maybe you need to be amazed, folks, as the predicted and the prophesied arrival and ministry of Christ the Messiah that is historically recorded and documented in over 300 places, listen to me, in the scriptures before Bethlehem. 300 places. Maybe some of you have heard of Josh McDowell. He's a famous Christian apologist. He's, he's an evangelist and he's a book writer. He's written about 150 books and probably the most notorious book, many of you probably heard of it, is called Evidence That Demands a, a Verdict. And I want to quote him right here. This is what he says. It's going to come up. One reason the Old Testament prophecy is so important to Christians is that over 300 predictions, like threads of a tapestry, establish the messianic credentials of Jesus. Think about that. 300 places. See, not only was there over 300 places that talked about him, Jesus, just his life, his 34, five years, just his life, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, just th that fulfilled over 100 prophecies directly. The life of one man. You, you think, let that sink in, folks. The life of one man capable of fulfilling uh, over 100 futuristic prophecies, prophecies that came, listen to me, from different people, different places, different people, right? People that never knew each other. They had no idea who was talking about who. People that came from different places in the world, right? At different generations, centuries apart, some of them. Yet they all spoke in unison when it came to the coming of Messiah, Savior, and Deliverer. In his classic book, Science Speaks, a Christian writer, Peter Stoner, he's a Christian writer, he's a professor of mathematics and astronomy. He was anyway up to 1953 at Pasadena City College. He says this, talking about concerning the Old Testament prophecies and Jesus, the New Testament, New Testament Messiah that was to come. He says this, when calculating the chance of any one man, it's going to come up, fulfilling all these prophecies, even to this present time, it equates to one and a whole bunch of zeros. I had to look up what that number, you know what that number is called? It's called 100 quadrillion. Or you can count 17 zeros over there, or 10 to the 17th 
power. That is how, you understand what I'm trying to say? I, I tell you what, when I came to realize how much the Old Testament validates Jesus and only Jesus, not just God and Jehovah and Jehovah, it validates Jesus and my, folk, my faith, folks, since then has never waned. It's never waned. It's never struggled ever again, ever again. That's why I started out saying earlier, I need the Old Testament in my, because it can, whenever there's doubt, whenever in my mind, God, are you here? God, are you listening? God, are you even there at all? I'm reminded by the Old Testament just how true the Son of God has to be, right? If you believe that, say amen. Good. So we've, uh, we've uh, laid the groundwork for our new series. And that's what we're going to be going to the next several weeks. We're going to dial it back. Now, like I said earlier, we're going to dial it back to the very beginning, Genesis 3, right? One of the earliest mention of Jesus. Genesis 3, it's a notorious chapter. You'll recognize it. That's the chapter uh, uh, most known as the chapter of the fall, right? The fall when men fall into sin. Quick context here in Genesis 3. God had created Adam and from the dust of the earth and from Adam's rib, he created woman. He created Eve, his life mate. And he placed this man and this woman in this beautiful garden. It was called the Garden of Eden. God tells them they can eat from every tree, every vine, every bush. Go for it, right? Buckle loose. You can eat from everything. But just one tree in the middle of the garden, just one. Just that one tree, you don't touch it. You stay away from it, right? In that one tree is Satan. It's fallen Lucifer himself. It's the devil. He has cloaked himself in the body of a serpent. And he lies to Eve. We know this. He deceives her and he plays word games with her and he lies to her. And she ends up eating from the tree. Then she goes to her husband. She brings the fruit to him and he eats the tree or of the tree too. So God comes looking for his kids a little later in the day, and because they're running from him, he knows what's going on, right? The enemy has hamstrung the very first two children of God. He's hamstrung that relationship, that loving, that trusting relationship they had. He's, 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 he's just come in and hamstrung it completely. We're going to pick up in chapter 3, just two verses. Verses 14 and 15. Now, he is turning to the serpent. He's looking in that, that, that serpent in that tree. And this is what he says. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed. More than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. When on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and between the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right up front, you might not see it. I'll show it to you though. Right up front, these two verses, right front, many a scholar, historian, and uh, a lot of the, 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 those that are uh, studiers of the scriptures, the ancient scriptures, they believe that right here 
in verse 15 is the first mention of the virgin birth. You say, what are you talking about, Art? See, I'm no scholar either, but I hold to this line of teaching on. See, after God curses and he condemns the devil, right? He tells him where your posture in life, where you're going to be, right? He goes on to declare that there will be enmity between the woman's seed and his seed or his offspring. He doesn't say that the beef will be between Adam and Eve's kids, right? And, And between the offspring of Satan or that the enmity will be between Adam's family and the devil. Remember now, Back in that day and age, the family, the name, everything was known by the father, the husband, and the family. He doesn't say none of that, right? No, God clearly says that the enmity will be between the woman's seed and the serpent's seed. And a a virgin birth would make that crystal clear. Would make that crystal clear. Here we also find that the scripture is showing us the birthing of a war of the ages. The war is of fallen humanity. Well, now fallen humanity, right? The war of good versus evil. The enemy has deceived the very first couple into rebelling against God, to tempting them to disobey God and allowing their eyes and hearts to sin against the commandment of the Lord. And now God right here in those two verses, he's setting the parameters of this war that would last for centuries to come, even to today in 2023. See, when he says that going forward and forever after, there will be enmity. That word enmity literally in the Hebrew means hostility, hatred, violence. That's what ibah in the Hebrew. That's what he's saying. There will be ibah from now until forever, right? Between Satan and the woman's descendants. This is arguably the very first mention of the coming Messiah we find in the Bible. See, in hindsight, we know that Genesis 3 speaks of the truth that Eve's descendants would always be in conflict, right? Against the devil and his legions. The bruising of the heel that God is talking about, it speaks of our adversary. The, from Adam and Eve to right now, today. He will always try to bruise your heel, bruise my heel. What does that mean? Cripple us. Slow us down, hinder our walk, hobble us, prevent us from moving forward. He's been bruising heels, folks, for centuries. Somebody say amen. How many tremendous men and women and people of God that rose up in the kingdom, in the, in the church, and what happened? They had their heels bruised and their ministry crashed and burned. Why? Because we have, a, we have one that wants to bruise the heel of God's people. I know what it's like to bruise a heel, folks. I wasn't always saved. So back in my BC days, that means before Christ, I used to drive truck for a moving company. So we were up Mariner's Ridge one day. I had me and my two gigantic blala helpers, gigantic guys. I was the driver. And so we were sent up to Mariner's Ridge. If you don't know what that's, up in Hawaii, Kai, it's beautiful, multi-million dollar houses. We were set up there. We brought some uh, storage boxes and what happened was this, this family were going to renovate their house. It was beautiful already, multi-level. They were going to do a major renovation. They'd have to move out for about five weeks. So they called us up there. So we brought some boxes, and we packed up the house. We dish-packed all the expensive. We didn't pack up everything, not all the furniture, but all the expensive stuff, the china hutches and kitchen and all that stuff, because there'd be contractors in there for over a month. So 
we went up there to pack it up, and we were up there the whole day. And so, and this beautiful house, the backyard had a, the back upper level had a beautiful pool. It was dark blue, and it shaped like a big kidney bean. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? This beautiful pool. And so we're up there, and then we're just about wrapping up. It's a, been the whole day. And then so the owner comes down. He came down from one of the levels. He said, hey, guys, out by the pool, there's a refrigerator. I bought you guys some beer. Go help yourself. Said, oh, why? right on. You know, so right on. You know, this guy bought us beer. And so my two helpers, they, they head up there first. I'm still doing some paperwork. And then he's, one, of, one of my helpers sees the pool. He says, excuse me, sir, do you mind? Can we jump in your pool? He goes, yeah, go for it, man. You know, <laughs> so my helpers are swimming in the pool. I'm, I'm drinking beer and I'm doing, I can't wait to get in the water. These guys are just kicking back, right? I finally get my steel toes off and I'm talking to these guys. I'm walking and I'm walking towards the stairs to go down into the pool. I wasn't going to do no, you know, jump off the, with a beer in my hand. I was going to walk. And I was talking to them. I wasn't paying attention. And I missed the edge of the pool. My, my right heel slid right off the side. Just, poof. I came to an abrupt stop when two things happened at the exact same time. As I was descending, <laughs> falling off the edge of this pool, I was stopped by, one, my tailbone hitting the edge of the pool. At the exact same time that that same right heel that betrayed me, it hit the bottom corner of the last step. You know what I'm talking about? So it was like, boom, and it just was like perfect timing. My tailbone and my heel, and I just remember hitting the water, and I rolled sideways, and I was screaming bubbles. You ever, you ever <laughs> underwater? Oh, just bubbles, man. I share that story, and I get up, my helpers, they, they thought, oh, yeah, but they didn't realize how... I was done. I missed work for eight days, folks. I could not put my foot down. You know, when you walk heel toe, heel toe. I could not put, I bruised my tailbone bone and I bruised my, my, my ankle, my heel bone. The bone was bruised. I, I couldn't walk and I couldn't even put my shoes back. And I share that with you just so I can tell you getting your heel bruised, it will cripple you. It's not a play on words in the Bible. And Satan knows that. He knows that he, he's probably thought he really, he really did a major crippling in the kingdom of heaven when, and, and, when, and the plans of God when he manipulated fallen humanity into torturing and killing his son. He probably thought, man, I bruised some major heels right there, right? He probably thought that he, he thought he killed him, right? He thought he killed him. He did for about three days, right? See, this wound of the devil, the cross of Calvary, this would be his finest work in his mind. But he didn't kill him. He was gone dead for three days. But the, see, the, the seed of Eve would ultimately defeat and destroy the serpent. That is what is meant when God says her, her, uh, her seed would bruise his head. See, when you're talking about bruising the heel, like I said earlier, you're talking about hobbling, hindering, tripping up, you know, causing us to stumble. But when you talk about bruising of the head, you're talking about a mortal wound, a, a wound unto death, right? A, a destroying wound, much more devastating than a bruised heel. And you can bet, folks, with all the crippling that Satan has done over the centuries, he was clueless. He had, there's no doubt he had no idea God's ultimate plan for, the, for, the, uh, for Eve's seed. He had no idea what God was going to do. That's why Paul says in, that God had had it planned from the very beginning that a crucified carpenter would ultimately become uh, a humanity's redeemer. 
a crucified carpenter would ultimately become humanity's redeemer. In his letter to Corinth, Paul says this. It's in your notes. 1 Corinthians 2, it says this. Now we declare God's wisdom, a mystery, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The beloved John, the revelator, he says this in 1 John 3, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was what? To destroy the works of the devil. Jesus himself says this of himself in Revelations 1. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys. He speaks of authority. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Folks, you can best believe that Satan had no idea that killing Jesus was going to, what opened up the door to Jesus defeating death, hell, sin, and the grave. You can fill in number one there in your notes. The Jesus in Genesis 3 was humanity's savior to be. Yeah, I'm the poet. Didn't know it, huh? The Jesus in G Genesis 3 was humanity's savior to be. See, it's important for us to remember the war that was declared way back then in Genesis 3 is the very same war we're in in 2023. And I've said it before, folks, and I'll say it again. Our enemy is a lot of things. He's terrible. He's evil. He's hateful. He's deceptive. But one thing he is not, he's not a quitter. He is not a quitter. We know that he knows he's already defeated, but what? He's still bruising heels to this day. God said it way back then, there will always be Ibah. There will always be enmity between us and the adversary, always. The enemy will never stop trying to bruise our heels, cripple our walk, hinder or hobble us. We can expect it. Just remember this. We know now. We're reminded again today, right? We can expect it. Remember what Proverbs 24 tells us. It's a very popular scripture. It's going to come up. But remember this. Remember this when you find yourself hobbling at times. Proverbs 24, 16 says this. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Just get up. Somebody say amen. When you, when you get your heel bruised, get up. Walk it out. I mean, don't, I mean, step out. Don't, don't allow him, right? Be encouraged, folks, that, folks, that the Jesus in Genesis 3 would be our savior to be. As we're going to prepare to wrap up week one before Bethlehem series, let's move forward a few verses in chapter 3 to get a glimpse of a, a biblical precedent here in the Old Testament that we see will come to completeness in the New Testament. Picking back up on our story in the Garden of Eden, after he has sentenced the serpent, right? He tells the serpent. He continues on in verses 16 to 20. I'm going to give you the abbreviated version. We don't have to go scripture by scripture. He turns, if you remember the story, he turns to the woman and he updates her on the consequences of her actions, of her disobedience. 
What's he say to her first thing? Going forward, childbirth is going to be brutal. All the mommies say amen. That's what he says. That you will give forth child in pain, right? He also goes on to say your desire, some translations say your desire will be for your husband. What it really, the Hebrew is saying, your desire will be to rule your husband. Your desire will be to call the shots with your husband. Just like you called the shots in getting him to eat this fruit. Your desire, because you're in a fallen nation now, you're going to always try to rule over your husband. But then he goes on to say, but he will rule over you. That's why he says that. Your desire will be for but he's going to rule. What's he saying, folks? Married couple, you know what he's saying? There's going to be power trips. She's not this submissive, beautiful little Eve no more. There's going to be power trips now. You're going to have conflict. Pedikia, you're going to argue. <laughs> All the married people say amen. amen. You can say, thank you, Eve. <laughs> That's what he's saying. He said, going forward, it isn't going to be hunky and dory. You're losing both of those. Hunky and dory is gone. <laughs> right? And then he turns to Adam. Right? Because you didn't rule over your wife, you allowed her to deceive, and you followed her. You disobeyed me and followed her. You see this beautiful garden, Adam? Say bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye, garden. Right? You, for the rest of your life, you will toil and labor to bring food from the ground that I created you from. For the rest of your life, you're going to have to try to draw food from that ground, right? You will sweat. You will struggle Every single day to feed your family. Everybody say, thank you, Adam. <laughs> See, God is showing them, folks, listen to me. Sin comes with a price tag. Amen? Sin comes with a price tag. Way back then, just like right here in 2023, sin comes with a serious price tag. Verse 21 is that biblical precedent I mentioned earlier. But let's pull up verse 7 and parallel it with verse 21. Verse 7, earlier in this chapter, it's right after they both ate. It's like one bite later. It's going to come up. Genesis 3, 7 says this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. See, isn't Adam and Eve's reaction so typical of each and every one of us when we fail or we sin? We let God down. We, we, we try to fix it our own way. We try to hide our shame or hide our embarrassment, right? We, these two had messed up. They knew it. Their first inclination was try to cover it up. Cover up the shame. Cover up the failure. Cover up the disobedience. I wonder if that sounds familiar. But in verse 21, God shows us how disobedience and sin will be dealt with for mankind going forward. Verse 21 shows that. Right here in the very beginning of humanity, he lays out the price tag. Pure and simple. Very simple scripture. I'll read it for you. 3 and 21. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. See, folks, to make clothing from animal skins means that animals would need to be sacrificed. They're Blood would be shed. Their bodies are going to get mutilated. See, their sin require two things. Their sin required two things. A sacrifice and shedding of blood. Sacrifice and shedding. 
Remember, this is what once uh, this beautiful world, it was a perfect world, God's perfect creation. Death and mutilation was not on the original agenda, folks. It wasn't on the original agenda. Isaiah speaks about what heaven was like and what it will be like. Isaiah 11, he talks about what the world looks like without sin. I'll read it for you, three verses. Isaiah 11 says this, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. A little child will lead them. The goat, I mean, excuse me, the cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and a young child will put his hand in the viper's nest. See, in this wonderful world, the price tag for sin requires two things, sacrifice of death and blood would have to be shed to cover the sin and the shame of disobedience. You can fill in number two there in your notes. The shed blood in Genesis 3 was the price tag established to redeem you and me. See, and this practice, folks, would continue on for centuries. You can fill it in, price tag established to redeem you and me. It would go on and on and on. The slaughter and the shed blood of innocent animals, animals would happen over and over again to cover humanity until one day. Everybody say one day. One day this scruffy preacher is coming out of the wilderness. He, he eats bugs and he, uh, he wears animal fur. He came out out of the blue. He's going to come there. John 1, 29. He'd said, and this is what he was saying. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus would be that final sacrifice once for all mankind. And that's who he is for each and every one of us today. Everybody say amen. amen. Maybe you're one here today listening. Maybe you're listening online. And maybe you, for whatever reason, you had your doubts. So maybe you've heard some new information. Maybe God spoke. To, maybe the Holy Ghost is speaking to you like he's never spoken to you before. Maybe you've never allowed Jesus, the Jesus of Genesis 3, to be your Savior. Maybe you have. Maybe you've drifted from God. Whatever reason. I don't know where you are today, but as we begin this brand new series, it would be, it would be wrong for us to move on without giving each and every one of you, both here and our online Ohana, an opportunity to dial back. Come to the Savior. Come to the King. Come to humanity's Redeemer. It's your opportunity. Maybe you've heard something again today and you didn't realize, man, that just how much the Bible validates. You've been one that's doubted God or doubt, doubted God's existence. You come to church because your family comes to church. Or you listen online because friends invite you to listen online. But in your heart, you've had doubts in the past. Maybe today, the doubts are gone. You understand, son, one in 100 quadrillion, that just doesn't make sense. It's, I, I tell you, people that don't believe in God, they, are, they got a stronger faith in because I, I cannot believe in God. I, I cannot not believe in God. It, it, it takes more faith to not believe in Him. And maybe that's where you were before today. But today, with every head, with every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe you're here today, every head, and you're, you're away from God. Maybe you've been away from God. Maybe you've drifted. If that's you, real quickly, with every head bowed, raise your hand nice and high in the air. Yeah, I see it. Anybody else? Yep, yeah, back here in the middle. Yep, yeah, I see you over in the right. 
Anybody else? Just real high. It's really between you and God. We just, we're allowing you to tell God, hey, God, that's me. You're raising your hand like you're in a classroom. Lord, that's me. Okay, you can go ahead and put those hands down. I'm going to lead all of us, our online family. Also, you can follow along. I'm going to provide simple words, a simple prayer. I ask that you do, all of us do it together. We all repeat this prayer. And those of you that need to, those of you whose hands went up, even online, those of you whose hands should have gone up, I ask you to do one more thing. You repeat this prayer, but give, it, give your heart to this prayer. Apply your heart to this prayer. We want to give you the opportunity. Everybody repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I need Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your ultimate sacrifice. Thank you for shedding your blood to wash my sin away. Forevermore, from this day forward, I make a decision that Jesus Christ will be my Savior. And going forward, he will be my Lord. I will follow him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap for all those? We hope you were blessed by this weekend sermon. If this is your first time joining us, we welcome you to check out our website, newhopeleeward.org, to learn more about us and how you can get connected into our ohana. We hope you'll join us again soon.